Welcome back to Round Guy Radio, and boy, do we have an exciting guest for you. This gentleman uh, is one of the most uh, uh, admired picks of the American pickers, uh, one of the, the big, really big uh, 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 people that they went to that really made a, a connection with people. He was described as the uh, most successful hippie that Mike Wolf ever seen. Welcome to the program, Hippie Tom. Well, thanks, Dave. Thank oh. you very much. Yeah. Well, that's what Mike said, but I don't know if that's true, but that could be true, maybe. But, yeah, it was a great day with the Pickers. So uh, you were one of the real iconic figures, of, you know, the made a real impact on the show. And uh, tell, tell us a little bit about the, the time that you spent there and how, how that all came about and, and uh, how you enjoyed having the uh, Mike and Frank come to your place. Well, sure. Um, this is early in 2010. That'd be 12 years ago that uh, I got a call from uh, New York from their uh, agency asking if I'd be interested in uh, like sending some photographs to uh, to them so they could monitor them and find out if uh, I had, you know, some interesting things to uh, show the pickers early in the second season, probably the first uh, episode. And um, after, like, uh, I sent some photographs, like, I didn't know how to take photographs, but after, like, 250 that I had someone take for me, like, and the first two, they said, yeah, we want to come and uh, pick your farm. So then, um, you know, Daniel called me and said, uh, they're going to be on their way. Um, I had, like, you know, one day's notice and uh, turned out that on the way there, they decided uh, to rename me Hippie Tom uh, because of uh, what Danielle was telling them about, um, you know, some really cool things, you know, and um, they came here and spent about 11 hours of time. Everything was... Uh, on the spot, you know, nothing rehearsed. We didn't do any of the uh, any of the episode research. It just came like like really uh, perfectly in tune with them. So yeah, they came like at nine in the morning and left about maybe nine at night. And I washed their windows and they left. And yeah, it was a pretty amazing day. Really, I was so scared so scared to start with when they walked down the driveway so well you uh, you had a, a, an interesting uh, personality and a, a negotiating style that i'd never seen before or since and uh, you seem to have a real connection with these two guys uh, and it really came across uh, on television that uh, what did you feel a, a good connection with the, with mike and frank oh yeah I, at first i was I mean, I was pretty scared. I had no idea what was going to happen. You know, all of a sudden they showed up. You know, they drove in. They came down the driveway. And, uh, you know, that's what started. And I had no idea what to do. Or I saw the first, uh, you know, probably 10 or 12 episodes. 
which started at the beginning in January of 2010, but I, I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, oh, it was a lot of fun, really. And, I mean, just with those two guys in the very beginning, you know, just picking, going through everything that I had. And, yeah, it was just, I really, after a period of maybe two or three hours, I got, you know, relaxed, but, Boy, I was scared the first two or three hours. I mean, I didn't know what to do or what to say. You know, really frightful. Yeah. Well, you 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 know you, you got in really at the beginning of the show before the show had really taken off and and would get to some heights the uh, you know and become a real stable of uh, people around the world that really enjoyed that and and you uh, like I say you became the the first. The first time, I really, they they kind of centered on the picker, the pick instead of the pickers. You know what I'm, you, you know what I mean? I mean, they kind of they, they advertised about you being on the show. You know, not so much about what Mike and Frank were doing. I think that was that was kind of a breakthrough uh, episode. Yeah, we kind of you know, we kind of clicked from the very beginning, and because I think everything was you know brand new, nothing rehearsed. You know, people could see that. People could see that. Whatever we were talking about, whatever we were negotiating on was like real. I mean, nothing was set ahead of time. Um, that's what made it so interesting. You know, such a real show that uh, they filmed for 10 or 11 hours too. So you could only see 21 minutes of that show after all those hours. So. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, a lot of film that uh, you know kind of got away from everyone or anyone seeing it. But I wonder where that is too, because yeah, it was, was a great time with them. I I have to say that was a great day. Yeah, there was a you know you guys have a little bit different backgrounds, but at the end of the day, it was. Uh... Three guys from the Midwest, you know, making, I guess, Midwestern deals. Do you, you feel like that? Yeah, exactly. You know, because that show was, you know, the other show, Pawn Stars, uh, premiered before that, maybe uh, one year ahead of time. But the show was the first of all the other shows to follow. And, you know, because we're so close and, you know, actually... They never really showed where I lived or they lived, really. It was actually kind of like really, you know, put in the back burner, really, because they never showed where they were picking for the first couple of years. They kind of showed Rockford and Illinois and when they were coming to my farm, but you didn't really know where they were. I was trying to get their license plate to figure out like where they were from, but you could never see the plate on their car and uh, on their truck. And, you know, I, I wanted people to know where I was, but it was kind of like a secret, uh, a secret deal really where they didn't want to expose, I think just to keep, you know, my privacy, which, you know, I really didn't mind at all. I wanted people to find me. Because, you know, I was, actually, I wasn't open. That's the only way they could come and pick me because they never picked a commercial or residential person um, before that. You had to be closed or you had to be just really, 
you know, off the charts, really, for them to pick you. So, luckily, I was actually closed during that one or two years, and uh, that's why they actually came. Because if I had a shop that was open, they didn't really want to promote that or advertise that, you know, in my case. So, I got really lucky during that time. Well, well, uh, I want to promote that and hear about that. So, tell listeners where, where you're at and uh, what your business is and... Uh... You know uh, what kind of merchandise or or stuff that you offer uh, through your your work. I've been um, I've been picking since 1969. My first pick was in my uncle's hat shop, uh, completely without any electricity, completely dark. Uh, Christmas 1969. And the only real item I picked was that time was 5,000 uncalled for hats that were packed up after he died and put in black garbage bags in the alley, like maybe 150 feet long, all these black garbage bags completely sealed, like lined up in the alley. And I spent like two or three days burned out my friend's clutch and his Volkswagen van transporting those hats back and forth, which I sold for $2 each at a record store in, uh, outside of Milwaukee. And uh, what was the question again, Dave? Oh, I don't even remember. <laughs> I just wanted to let, let people know where you lived and, uh, you know, maybe oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> and give, you, give us your social media and how, how they can contact you or. Uh... Sure. I'm in uh, I'm in Wisconsin, Waterford, which is uh, west of Racine, just south of Milwaukee, and uh, I have a farm here with uh, like 50 buildings. We open up like at least 25 buildings, just packed with uh, merchandise, anything you can possibly imagine. A lot of primitives, a lot of antiques, uh, a lot of old concrete, a lot of uh, really cool new country concrete from a company in uh, North Carolina. We have a lot of really nice uh, cast iron. Um, we have, like I said, the buildings are pretty amazing. I built um, probably like 20 of them, moved in probably like six or seven. The original farm buildings were um, uh, probably like only 13 when I moved here. And um, we only open twice a year, this coming Memorial Day weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, those four days will be open. And uh, then we'll be open again on Labor Day. Only twice a year we're open. takes so long to get this place ready because during the winter, I just jam this up with merchandise almost every other day. Things are coming in here. and. I just packed the doorways, so it takes so long to, like, get this place in order. And the gardens, too, are pretty extensive. But do you have a website or social media sites or anything where people can follow you or maybe uh, look at your inventory? Yeah, if you want to. Yeah, we have some great photographs on right now. A friend of mine took probably, like, maybe 30 photographs in two different settings, and you could look up. Uh, the photographs on my Facebook, that's Hippie Tom. Facebook Hippie Tom. I think P 
people say that uh, and suddenly it like shows up uh, before all the other hippie toms that are out there too so that's really cool it's like you know the first hippie tom site that shows up so yeah and then we have another one serendipity farm serendipity farm is another site that we show photographs on so yeah since we're only open twice a year it's a real special event that um you know people look forward to it because um you know we have such such an extensive amount of items too every building is just completely packed there's order in it but not to begin with that's what a friend of mine has uh gone through and kind of reestablished aisles through it but yeah there's just some really interesting things here well the, well uh i'm sure uh i'm sure it's a, it's just unbelievable to get out there and see that much uh, volume you know and uh it does it sounds like it does take about you know six months of, of picking new stuff and getting things set up so uh, appreciate you doing that let me ask you a little uh, another question back to the american pickers uh you were you were on another episode where you were out in sturgis and uh mike had been looking for frank the whole time and then finally he catches him in a bar in sturgis and and while he's kind of reading Frank the the ride act, he looks over and he sees you, and he somehow like he thinks you were you know you were involved in all this, and he looks at you, and you just give this classic mug shot, this uh, really a memorable moment of TV, you know, one of the greatest moments in uh, the American Pickers. You you were, uh, I mean, for for a natural reaction or for a guy with no no acting experience or whatever, that that was. Uh, a 10 out of 10 level acting, I thought. I wanted to really, really think so. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. You know what I mean? The timing of it, the the look on your face, the you know, Mike and Mike is doing a terrific job of looking angry, you know. And then, you know, it's like he looks at you, and if you look his face, you know, it's like you can just see the wheels turning in his mind, you know, and then you just you don't really say anything, but you just kind of you know, shrug your shoulders and look back and like try to, I don't know. I thought it was terrific. I really thought it was one of the best moments uh, on the show. Wow. Well, really? Yeah. It was really fun. It was really fun to meet them there. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that too. I never really thought of that. I'm going to have to go back and try to find that episode and actually see that, uh, particular moment. Yeah. I appreciate that. That was a great time. Yeah. So finally meet them, you know, in Sturgis first time and uh wow. <laughs> just just to see that reaction from Mike and Frank too. Well, I know. Become uncovered, you know. Frank yeah. he looks like he's catching enough of a buzz that he's just like, you know, not really hearing what Mike says. He's like going, What, what, you know? <laughs> and it's almost yeah. like Mike was waiting for the reaction out of Frank that you gave it. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, you really. know, Frank wasn't really reacting enough, but the, the one person that has the big reaction is you in that scene. And, uh, you know, uh, how, how, how has that, has it helped your business or your visibility or, or do people still remember you when they see you? Yeah, they do. After 12 years, it's, it's really something else just to, uh, actually meet the people you know that 
just say hi to me, you know, know my name. And it's really hard to remember everyone's name. I try, but yeah, everywhere I go to the grocery store, um, actually anywhere, people, people on the road driving past, you know, we have a small road in front of our uh, farmhouse here and uh, it's getting busier now, but, you know, people wave at me when I'm cutting the grass and honking, you know, it really makes me feel good after 12 years and pretty visible too. I mean, Waterford's a really small town, like uh, under 5,000 people. So yeah, it's good to be, it's good to be noticed and, you know, got to keep my nose clean all the time and whatever I do has to be, you know, spot on perfect. So I cannot have anything, you know, that would be, you know, not right with me. I gotta keep my nose clean all the time. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit about you. Where were you born? You know, your parents like what? You know, what what led you down the journey to become a hippie? Yeah, I was um, I was just a small boy outside of uh, Milwaukee, nineteen fifty. So I'm seventy one point five now, and. Uh, my room was completely immaculate, just perfect. The only thing I did was uh, take magnesium from high school and try to burn it on my desk and burned a big slot through the uh, side of it. So that was really a bad deal, but I did nothing wrong. I was perfect. I was playing basketball when the high school bus uh, drove past and stopped across the street. I hide in the garage really shy, really a shy boy all those years. So I went to school, went to school in Milwaukee for two or three different times and in Whitewater, which is a university um, outside of Madison. So I started uh, doing clay, ceramics. So I became a potter and I had a partner. So uh, we had a production pottery after uh, Actually, I never graduated. I went to school in Whitewater and Milwaukee for seven years. Never graduated, but you know, always did uh, uh, clay in school. So we developed a business, and uh, um, you know, had a business for like fifteen years or so. And we sold at Summerfest and art fairs all over, all over the country. Actually, from you know Arizona all the way to Florida and uh, up through the whole eastern coast and Midwest. So we had like 17 people working for us, and it was a big production pottery. We made a lot of uh, really good things back in the 70s. So uh, uh, did you get to see any, any bands back uh, in the 60s or any big jams or anything that, uh, that, that uh, maybe you enjoyed? Or... Yeah. I did, uh, I did a lot of festivals, went to a lot of festivals on weekends, but probably the biggest, uh, biggest deal I ever kind of fell into was, uh, we we're going to, uh, Rio de Janeiro for kind of like a radio stations, uh, uh, promo. So probably like 50 of us went to, uh, Rio for, a show called Rock in Rio. It's a 10-day festival. Uh, 
in Rio. And um, they had like incredible bands this whole time. And ECDC was the uh, headliner for uh, two of the nights. And I guess that would be that would be the most like incredible experience I ever had in my life was to finally meet them at the pool. Uh, went up to them, start talking to them, and then from that night on, like eight more days, uh, I was with them the whole time at night, you know, talking and drinking, and uh, and then they took me on their tour bus. Uh, to uh, the show, 350,000 people in the audience. It was just incredible because White Snake, Ozzy Osbourne, and uh, let's see, another band played that night also when ACDC was the frontliner, and they went on like at two in the morning, and it was just amazing on stage with them only. And uh, everyone was booted off except security and and us. And just to see the crowd, like out in you know at least three hundred fifty thousand people in Rio. So that probably had to be the highlight of my life with um, you know other bands. Really, I mean, I saw the Doors at Summerfest because we sold at Summerfest big festival in Milwaukee for probably like 15 years. So, but never really got a chance to see any bands there except uh, The Doors. They play there, which I saw. But other than that, I was, you know, selling most of the time till midnight. So I never got a chance to see, you know, too many bands except Head East when they finally were brand new. I saw them at Summerfest and, and they were really good too. Well, that's some pretty good stories you had there. Uh, so nobody ever called you Hippie Tom until you until you were on the show, huh? No, only a friend of mine who called me just Hippie. He just called me Hippie, and uh, now he just calls me Grandpa. That's all. But on the way here, Daniel was talking to the boys, Mike and Frank, uh, about me, and that's how Mike kind of named me. I mean, no one ever called me hippie before that. And uh, it's kind of really cool that, you know, Mike never met me, never knew who I was really, but just from Danielle, just, uh, you know, calling me hippie Tom from that point on. So that's that's how it stuck. So, hmm. Yeah, that's my new name, really. So Just from that one day. So back in the 60s, people didn't think of you as a, as a hippie? Well, there were so many hippies back then, you know, we were, you know, we were just so mellow and so cool and no violence, no problems. And, you know, almost everyone really was a hippie back then, actually. You know, you yeah. just, you, uh, when you, go ahead. I just think the world needs that again, don't you? Yeah, they sure do. The world needs that for sure. You know, when you could go past another vehicle and just wave at them without even knowing them or just saying hi to someone on the street or just acknowledging someone and say, hey, you know, when I'm at the grocery store, I try to interact with uh, anyone I can, you know, grab their cart, take it in, 
you know, for them so they don't have to really, you know, lug it back to the card exchange and just to try to say something to anyone just to get a reaction, you know, a good reaction from them. Just instead of walking past them without just not even acknowledging who they are, I mean, why not? Why not try to do that to someone and make them feel a little, a little different, either happier or, or just, just to get some feedback from them, you know? Just, just to be cool, that's all. Just to send a positive vibe out there, you know? Yeah, positive vibe. Yeah, right. There's so much negativity that, you know, this is different. They might remember it. I mean, and you, they just, might, uh, you say yeah, you ahead. say something somebody disagrees with and their fist is in your mouth almost instantly. Yeah, I know. You have to be so careful, too, talking to people. Now, but in this little town here where I live, you know, it's it's pretty mellow, pretty cool. So not too much. I, I think they say it's the safest city in Wisconsin, Waterford, Wisconsin. That's what it says uh, on the high school marquee. So I don't know if that's really well, that's true. Be, that's because you're there putting out all those good vibes. Just like, yeah. uh, like uh, the Beach Boys said, good vibrations, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a couple other people too. My uh, my really good friend Charlie Keys is the world famous like uh, roper, you know, with the largest uh, like 138 foot continuous rope. And his daughter has to be um, one of the most uh, influential, you know, marijuana persons. Um, that has like smoke pass and paint businesses around the country. So, you know, the three of us really just in this small town, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing really that, you know, three people here live here all in this little town and kind of like are recognized around the country really. Well, yeah, there is a lot of unique talent there. Uh, let me ask you a little something. Uh, you know, Mike and Frank, have, uh, or, or Frank's no longer on the show, and a lot of the fans are disappointed. And uh, did, when you were working with them, did, did it seem like they were friends, or did it just seem like they were friends just on camera? or Because it just seemed like there was the most beautiful thing that they had going between them, and that, I think that was really what, what people enjoyed about the show. How, what are your feelings about Frank not being with the show anymore? That's what made the show. Those two of those, those two guys together from when they were, boy, I don't know, they had to be nine or ten or maybe even younger. You know, they would scour the alleys and go to the dumps and wherever they could pick bottles or anything really. And that's what made the show. I mean, the reaction, you know, between the two of them, the reaction I made, you know, was really solid. And uh, over a period of time, I guess, you know, something just happened and uh, it's really unfortunate, you know, that they weren't, you know, stuck together all this time. But I guess, you know, over a period of time, I guess things just kind of, you know, will dwindle between two people. I had a partner also, which was 
you know, really similar after like 20 years. So I can understand that. But yeah, I wish Frank, you know, Frank's a really nice guy. He really is. You know, he might come off kind of pushy on the show and want to, um, you know, want to get the, the best deal, you know, but that's what everyone wants. That's what I want. I want the best deal. And if I can't get it, you know, I'll settle, try to, you know, negotiate, you know, fairly. But, you know, you always want to be in this business, try to get, you know, the best item for the lowest price so you can, you know, turn that over and make someone else happy. And, you know, with Mike and Frank, the first time I met them, you know, we had a great connection. Um, It was really a fun day. I mean, they went through my house, too, and, you know, talked to everyone here. We had, like, people that kind of, you know, just stopped by unexpectedly. Because it's a secret deal. When they pulled in, you know, they had a couple vehicles with them. So, I mean, they had to sneak in off the road without anyone following I hate to cut in, but uh, I only recorded 30 minutes times. Can I get you to stay on for another segment? Yeah, sure. Okay. This is Round Guy Radio. Well, we've been talking to Hippie Tom of American Pickers, and I, I can't tell you how much I'm enjoying this. Stick around for part two uh, as it'll be coming right up. Thanks. Okay. Welcome back for part two of our interview with Hippie Tom from American Pickers. Boy, this has been a tremendous uh, experience talking to you. Um, tell me a little bit uh, – Tell me, tell me a little bit more about your life, something that we haven't talked about yet, maybe some something interesting that happened to you. Well, yeah, I was a, yeah, I was a potter in school for, I think, like, from 1970 to um, probably like 1977 or so that we started our own business. And I've been uh, just kind of like the rules do not apply on the side of the road, really. I remember hitchhiking uh, back in the early 70s and 80s, but no one ever yelled. No one ever threw anything at me. No one ever, like, defaced me or deframed me. It was pretty unusual. You know, back then, people just, uh, certain people would make fun of uh, people with longer hair and uh, people that didn't look like, you know, everyone else. And and for some reason, I just led a pretty cool life, really, back then. And, uh, you know, I had dogs from when uh, when I was in school. We had a dog in Whitewater, like in 1970. And I've had a dog ever since then, up to like four dogs at a time. And now we have two. And uh, I think I was without a dog for about 29 days a couple of years ago when the last uh, uh, dog of four uh, finally went away, unfortunately. So then we, like, reinserted two more. And, and dogs are my life. I just love dogs. And, uh, you know, if there's any way people out there that can, you know, support a shelter or do anything really to... Uh, to donate or, or give food or, or money or anything to a shelter, try to, you know, just to save any animal that uh, you possibly can. And, you know, just brings 
feel so much joy to see these two dogs. They're like lying next to me now, right on the floor. You know, just waiting for the time. They know perfectly exactly what time it is in the morning, at nine o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night, what to do. And yeah, just amazing pals to have. Well, uh, our show is uh, uh, basically an, uh, a lot of listeners in Iowa. You know, we talk about Iowa all the time. You mentioned you have a farm. Uh, maybe some more listeners would like to hear a little bit about your farm. Yeah, and I know you have like way over 4,000 uh, people that follow you. And there's a lot of people in Wotoma. I think Wotoma, Wisconsin. That you said, I think it's Wanakee. We have like, yeah, we have like a ridiculous amount of people listening. Wanakee, like, uh, God, yeah, yeah, we have like, uh, oh, it's like nine percent of our total of that four thousand, you know, so close to 400 uh, people probably in that town listening, <laughs> and, and they've been there from the very beginning, and I, uh, uh but you know what? As I look, you know, we got there, there's like 44 states that listen, you know, somewhere along the line. And as I look at the cities, it's a lot of smaller yeah. towns, you know, or or you know, maybe somebody from Iowa lives there, you know, and wants to catch up on what's going on around here, you know. Uh, uh-huh. So and 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 we got listeners, you know, we got a lot of listeners in in Illinois and a lot of listeners in Wisconsin, a lot of listeners in Minnesota, a lot of listeners in in Missouri and and Nebraska and uh, you know the Dakotas. So everybody around us, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're that we're that we connect with that small town person, you know, uh, out there. Yeah. And uh, now, what about what about those six states now that don't follow you? We gotta get some people in well, those six states out there, right? Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with those six states, but we, I think, yeah. we'll, I think we'll get there by the time this interview's over with. I think you're gonna help yeah. me with all of that. Uh, so our farm. Our farm is surrounded by all four sides of DNR, which is, uh, uh, let's see, Department of Natural Resources. So there's 2,500 acres on the perimeter of, of our farm. All four sides are DNR, so it's completely isolated. Um, you really can't see any houses. There's one or two sort of next door, maybe, you know, like a couple, like a thousand yards away or so, our friends. But basically, this road will never be built on. It's almost a rustic road, too. It goes through the marsh, and then it has curves uh, going to the south towards Waterford, like S-curves. So it's a great motorcycle riding uh, road and our farm is uh, uh, our house is close to the road, twenty six feet away, and then we have two large barns and we have a pig house and a chicken coop and a little chicken coop and a tractor shed and a corn crib and an oil house and and I did build a number of other buildings. Also, we. I built a 50-foot greenhouse, which is really cool, with actually two gables on each side, so it's actually four doors, so we kind of re-modified it, and uh, the Goodyear blimp went over really 
low when we were building the greenhouse, putting the glass on it. So that was pretty interesting. And it was just a couple hundred feet above us, just watching us build this greenhouse. And the other buildings are all done with uh, recycled materials. I'm a recycler, so I, I will not throw anything away. I could be a hoarder, but, you know, people always deny that, you know, no, I'm not called a hoarder. So everyone else thinks I am, but I really don't. I mean, there's not garbage or, you know, um, aluminum cans stacked away or, you know, cheese it boxes or cereal boxes stacked up that I'm saving. No, it's just, you know, it's just pretty cool things. And it's everywhere, and more and more comes in every week, too, and you just can't stop it. Once it's in your blood, um, you just go with it for the rest of your life. I can never stop. I can't throw anything away. I can't waste anything. I just try to find a use for everything I have. I recycle every single piece of paper, cardboard, and anything. I hate to just throw anything in the trash. It's just, um, it just really gets to me that, you know, people don't respect, you know, this, this earth and all the garbage you see on the side of the road. I can't imagine how that stuff could possibly be there and no one picks it up. I, I, I just don't understand why people can throw things away like that and not care. It's so easy to do once you, you know, get in the habit of doing it. You know, when I was in the army and I was stationed in Germany, I was a very young young man, and uh, they they told us, you know, that everything you do here reflects on America. You know, so it says if you throw your candy wrapper on the ground, that reflects on America. You know, I just never, never that never left me. You know what I mean? That uh, you know, however, you know, to conduct myself in a way that that looks good on my family and looks good on uh, on my country. You know, so I really uh. uh Glad that you said that. Yeah, when we when we're open here, you know, there's a food vendor that you know has food, and we'll have we'll have food and drink also during our show, which you know next weekend. But people hide, you know, hide their garbage and coke cans in the buildings. You know, they think like they just can't take it back and either well either throw it away or try to recycle it in bins, but. They hide things like everywhere, you know, they're all done drinking and they have to like stick it instead of carrying it somewhere and disposing of, you know, properly. I, I just don't understand how people can do that. Like don't care about, I wonder what, you know, their house looks. I mean, I'd like, I like to keep this clean. I pick up a candy wrapper or a piece of paper on the ground just because I, I can't see you know, seeing that, I mean, like, why? Why is that there? So, well, kinda... this has been fabulous. We're talking to Hippie Tom of American Pickers. I, I could talk to you all day, uh, but I think we're going to wrap it up here pretty quick. But before I let you go, do you have any merchandise? Do you have a book or, or is there any Hippie Tom T-shirts or hats or anything that people can get? Yeah, sure. There's Hippie Tom. Uh, t-shirts which are really cool they're black with kind of a circle in the center with uh, 
they say my face is in the uh, center. We have bumper stickers. We have, uh, yeah, I think that's all we have. Just, you know, we have our flyers that promote the two sales, but the shirts and the bumper stickers are the best. And, you know, if anybody in the great state of Iowa that listens to you or you personally, if you would ever have time to come next weekend, you know, that would, that would be incredible. If anybody out there wants to see the farm, go to my Facebook, Hippie Tom, because we just posted, you know, like 14 or 15 really cool photographs on there of the building. So, yeah, it's kind of a great event in the middle of nowhere on a great rustic road. We have food and, you know, a lot of people just to, you know, help you any way you can to make this the best time for that particular day and i hope maybe dave you can you know stop by in the future or this time or whatever you can all right you you know what my favorite thing about wisconsin is the people the walleye the walleye yeah i love the walleye they have up there oh my gosh oh i used to i when i drove a truck Every Sunday night, I would go somewhere in Wisconsin, and then unload. Any there was oh eight or twelve different places that I would go. Any place that had a refrigerated warehouse, I would I'd start my week there. Uh, any you know it could be Milwaukee, it could be Anaconda. I mean, it, some of the names of the towns are kind of hard for me to pronounce, but uh, I I went there every week, and then I would go to Austin, Minnesota, and then I would get a load that would go to the south somewhere. You know, sometimes to Texas, sometimes to North Carolina, sometimes, most, a lot of times, Tennessee, Mississippi, you know, and we would take, we basically, we take port to the side. Oh, man, I love walleye. That, that's the best tasting fish you got there in Wisconsin, I think. Yeah, I think I only had it one time. I can't, um, I heard it's the best, but. Oh. Yeah, please. Mm. I just, I like to eat fish. It's one of my favorite things to do. I, I spend uh-huh. a, lot, a lot of time fishing. You know, and I always have uh, my my dad and my brother are you know really dedicated to it, and uh, you know I had a All good right. uh, had a good experience growing up with a lot of you know fishing and hunting and and uh, you know raising big gardens and uh, my grandpa had a farm and we got there and work on the farm and you know it was uh, it was a beautiful was way to grow Iowa? up, you know. Was that in Iowa too? That yeah, that's talking? where I grew up in Iowa. Oh, I I. Uh, I was born in Ames when my dad was going to college and uh, he was from Oskaloosa and so was my mom and he lived on a farm and my grandpa was a World War II vet and he was a uh, rural mail carrier and he had like nine kids and uh, my mom was the oldest and then uh, I don't know I just I love the 70s so much and you know you you remind me of uh, the attitude people had in the 70s and uh, how people were caring about each other and I just got to thinking about the world the way it was today and uh, that's why I reached out to you because I just wanted uh, I wanted to hear those good vibrations again. You, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Well, yeah, uh, people actually waved at other people on the road just going past them. You know, that's like, you can't get any better than that, Dave. Well, here in Richland, Iowa, we still do it. You know, there's just a okay. little town of about 500 people and uh, 500 people yeah that's that's what i live in a little town in southeast iowa and uh it's a you know really 
we have really good schools and we have really caring people and we look out for each other and people kind of keep yeah. the yard mowed and their house looking nice and uh, uh, are still kind of, uh, it's still like, kind of like 1970 here. Yeah. Looking after each other. That's what, that's what it used to be like, you know. Well, let's someday like go back to that, but uh, well, we can only hope, right? Well, let's spend the last couple minutes of this interview with you uh, giving a message of peace for people. Yeah, I hope so. I just hope that uh, you know we could just change this around this uh, epidemic or pandemic we have and everything else. I mean. Like, how long can this go on? I just can't imagine this. Like, how did it get this troublesome, you know, over a period of a couple of years, really? It's sure going downhill, and we got babies that that can't get food. I got a niece that's got a baby that's, you know, less than 90 days old, and she's struggling. She's, She's... She's struggling to find baby food. She breastfeeds, but she needs to supplement. And the baby's got some kidney problems. And, you know, it's just a worry, you know? Yeah. And, uh, geez, I mean, it's almost $40 a a box of the baby formula if you can find it. I mean, and gas is so high and so many problems overseas. And Uh it's hard to keep keep your chin up. But I I I know you're you're blindsided. You just don't know what to think about after you know after a while you know all of a sudden that war just kind of like dissipated it's like hardly there it's like gone i mean no one even talks about it no one really cares about it anymore it's like so far away from us now after you know 85 days or so it's so sad and no one even like thinks about it i think how bad this is really and, you know, now there's new things that come up every couple of days, you know, with the formula and that, and that's really important. That's really, you know, what's in the news right now, but, you know, something's going to take that place in a period of time. And, you know, there's always a rotation of like the bad things that happen. Just like, why? Why, why has it? got to this point i i don't get it like what do people think like <laughs> how long could this like world last really you know it's on the verge right now everywhere so, yeah. yeah i'm 71 and a half so i'm on my way out man <laughs> well i'm glad uh, you took some time with us today i really enjoyed talking to you uh it's been an absolute pleasure going down mm-hmm. this this past with you, uh, you know, I hope that, you know, maybe we can give some people a, a little distraction from all the problems that they have on earth. And, uh, well, I thank you for being on the program. I really appreciate anything you want to say before I let you go. Yeah, I gotta say, well, you're a great interviewer and I've got a whole bunch of people out there listening and, uh, yeah. And I hope, you know, I hope we get a, bunch more to listen to you and really you know how long have you been doing this like six seven years or so no well i started out in may of last year just on thursdays doing a facebook live show with this guy called the round guy who uh 
he was a, a Steve Pilchin. He's a, you know, well-known radio personality that's retired, you know, and we were kind of doing that during the pandemic because there wasn't much else we could do. And so, but then we, we saved all those and kind of, that was a start in August when we started the, the podcast. So, you know, really the podcast has been going on, but, uh, you know, close to a year we've been, we've been doing it, you know, like the first episode, the first week we had two listeners and the next week we had four listeners and, you know, and it just kind of went from there. But, uh, yeah. you know, we've got four thousand, a little over, we got well over 4,000 listeners now. And, uh, you know, interview like this, uh, this is what it, it's always like this. You know what I mean? We, we, the reason why the interviews go well is because we, we do a 1970s style of interview where I just ask you questions and then, let you answer it. Yeah. And when you're done, you know, I'll ask you a different question, you know, and we don't try to drive the interview or anything else like that. We try to be respectful to people and yeah, it's just so much res- res- respectfulness. It's just not in a, not, not done in the other media. So. Right. Um, but has anyone ever interviewed you because you told me about all the people you have met and been in contact with and you are a comedian and you are like all over the country and do people out there know about you? Someone must have to interview you, I think. Well, well the next time we're on the show, you can interview interview me. I have some I have a lot of tales to tell. I've been you know, like I say, I just I've been all over the world and uh, worked with some incredible people and I I knew I know I mean I've known celebrities since I was a teenager. Uh, yeah, you must have been. You know, you told me last week about all the people that uh, that you have come in contact with, and yeah, someone has to interview you for like an hour. I think coming up. I, I think I was a podcast. I was like seven years old when I was hanging out with the Maharishi, who uh, the, the when at the same time the Beatles was hanging out with him. Uh, I was hanging yeah. out with Andy Kaufman when I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. You know. Really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was just. They want to know that. They want to know the story behind you. You know, the interviewer. You know, yeah. I mean, the interviewer must be interviewed. Well, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. No, no one's, uh, no one's ever asked me before. But, uh, well, well, sure. can, can we, can we get you back on the show again sometime, or keep you somewhere in the Rolodex? Sure. Yeah, you can. You know. Um, any time in the future, I'll try to figure out uh, what happened in my last 71 years and try to get an interesting, you know, fact for you. Okay. Well, you, you need to write a book because you had an unbelievably interesting life and people all over the world uh, connect with you. And maybe, you know, you, you could, uh, you could help the world with your attitude, uh, you know, the young people that you grew up in a world where people wanted peace, you know what I mean? And they didn't have it and they wanted it. Now they have it and they don't want it. You know, yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, the opportunities they could possibly have and what they're just, they're in a position where it's like, it's never going to get any better is what they think. So why care? You know, like, why? Well, you, you know. should care. I mean, what's the point of living if you don't care, you know? It's a great yeah. gift from God to have life, I believe, you know, and you should celebrate it and enjoy it and uh, try to make sure. uh, other people's lives around you uh, enjoyable, you know, and at least if you can't do it for other people, you should at least try to do it for your family. 
Yeah. And just try to do that and, you know, just try to pass it on, pass it to someone every day. Like just, you know, interact with someone just to, in a nice way to see what happens. You'll never know until you try. Yeah, that's what I try doing every day. The the greatest thing I ever seen on anybody's face was a smile. Yeah, that's true. That's that's like your your mantra for your show here. I think <laughs> from the seventies, the greatest yeah. thing on someone's face is a well, smile. The seventies yeah. uh, approach might work better today than it did back then. Yeah, and you were just a little boy back then. Yeah, but I was happy back then, you know. I was, uh, I was, uh, I enjoyed the 70s. It was a great time, you know, to grow up in Iowa. And uh, the music was great. And uh, I'm always listening to music from the 70s because it was just the best. About the best yeah. decade. Uh, it was before, once they made uh, music videos, uh, the quality of music just dropped like a rock because... You know, let's face it, you could just put any old song out there and just put a bunch of good-looking girls in bikinis and you got yourself a hit. You know what I mean? But before 1981 that... 1981 or 1980, that's all. Yeah, but before yeah. that, music MCC. had to sound good. You know what I mean? If it didn't sound good, nobody would listen to it. <laughs> yeah, but it looked good. Well, now, now it just matters what it looks like, really not what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. That's what people thought. Something well... Exactly looked like we're about out of time again it's once again uh hippie tom it was a pleasure talking to you really enjoyed this interview thank you for your questions and your concern and your attitude and uh and i hope you get like another four thousand uh listeners uh real soon get that up to twenty thousand people we're we're steady you know we're like the we're we're definitely more like the tortoise than the hare but you know what? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we build up these listeners that'll stay with us. You know what I mean? This grassroots thing, and uh, you know, nobody knows about your podcast, and there's a million other podcasts. So it's I've you know, Ferrari. Yeah. it's uh, uh, there's a lot of competition, but you know, we we have a niche market. We have we talk about you know the things that are going on, and I interview the candidates that are running for office too because I just figure people should hear from them. You know what I mean? And not hear, not make their decisions on commercials that are paid for by people out of state. You know, let's let, yeah. let, let's get to know uh, who we're voting for before we vote on them anymore. I guess would be my hope. Five more months of commercials. Uh, just the money, the money they put into that. God, if they just so, put that money into helping people, we wouldn't need a government. Yeah, exactly. Like why, why pound these people over and over five months? before the elections you know just there should be a limit of time i think there should be one month or one and a half months you know 45 days that they could advertise like why 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 just waste that money on tv ads over and over we've seen it's the same one too they don't like bury them at all and the the ads are never about the candidate that's running the ad it's about why the other guy's no good Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's like here's 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 your basic political ad today you think i'm bad you should hear about the guy i'm running with against (laughs) i mean it's terrible well we're 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 out of time tom thanks for being on the show We'll, we'll call you again uh 
This has been Round Guy Radio with news you can use that won't give you the blues. And thanks for listening.